Hello, everybody, and welcome to DevOps Decrypted. This is episode 14. I'm your host, Romy Greenfield, back from holiday. And um, joining me today, I have uh, Joe Bin, John, and Rasmus. Hi, everybody. Hey, Romy. Mm. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, so let's start with talking about maybe some DevOps in the news. Uh, so um, I know that there's like a lot of talk about platform in the news at the moment. Um, what are your guys' thoughts about um, building uh, platforms and their use cases? What's good about them? What's bad about them? It is such a meaty topic and mm -hmm. there's so much floating around about it right now. That's for sure. I love the idea of having a platform, but you have two camps right now, or rather you have a spectrum of camps. There are those that say that, well, it's just part of the process. You know, you can do one thing, you can do many things, while there's in another way where it's more like, don't call it a platform or whatnot. So how do you even start defining it? That's the uh, That's the hard part for me, I think. That, that's the first thing that came to my mind when Romy said, let's talk about platforms. And then uh, there's this article which said, don't call it a platform, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of that um, discussion uh, I had sometime back. Should we call it DevSecOps or SecDevOps or SecOps or, you, you know, so I'm, I'm confused. What's in the name? So why can't we call it a platform? It is just a name. You can call it whatever you want. What's important is what it does. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's important though to have something that you can like to actually name things so that you can talk about them to actually have a things there so some something that you know what to think so if you're not calling it a platform then what are you going to call it you have to there has to be something there's some kind of common vocabulary to actually have a discussion around and know what know what you mean so um i'm not necessarily i i sure i agree with the don't call it a platform but i think there's you know there's some interesting ideas in that in, in, in that post and um and i think i think the platform platform engineering and, and building like internal platforms is is a it's a complex and um widely misunderstood thing i think um and it's possibly something that the industry is really just grapp grappling with to actually understand what 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 it is that we we mean when we're talking when we're talking about that Yep. And I can I can suggest sort of and, and clarify, I think what we are thinking about since this is a DevOps podcast is sort of the next thing, which is becoming more and more about the DevOps platform or the internal developer platform and those sorts of things. There are, of course, previous platforms like Cloud Foundry and other like deep tools that are really meant to do all kinds of things. But it feels like that this new initiative in platforming and platform engineering is new and it is sort of a next evolution of of these kinds of concepts yeah that, that, so I, I think one of the one of the kind of the key themes in in platform engineering and building platforms is that enabling developers and 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 re reducing the cognitive overhead so so in, in my mind and anything that reduces cog cognitive overhead and and kind of allows you to focus on solving the problem at hand as kind of a prop that's that's platform to me, um, and that, that's the important part of it. All of the rest of the fluff around it, you know, that, that's kind of nice. Um, but that but ultimately, it's it's about giving giving people tools to build um, and and to and and to operate things with without having to um, have to worry about too many concerns all at once. 
if I remember correctly, that was also one of the major arguments in that article. They were yeah. focusing on developer experience, right? You, you call it platform, you call it something else. Ultimately, it has to be about developer experience, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and I agree a lot with um, the, the argument made in the team team's apologies book about you know it's the thinnest thinnest viable platform is what you should be aiming for. So, and certainly at least like, and if that's just a set of documentation of these are the, these are the services or tools that we want to use, I think that's that's a brilliant place to start. Um, when when songs and it might be that's where you need to end as well. Um, and then maybe not not go too much. But I think and I think this is where. Like the context of, of where where you're in is 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 really re- really important, um, and so the size of your engineering team. Because if you have got you've got hundreds of engineers and you need to make the most of them, then it's probably worth giving them higher level abstractions to build on, so that you can they can go faster together. Um, ultimately, I, I think the biggest question is okay, what exactly do we mean by the platform? Is it like a set of tools, or are we actually specifically talking about an internal developer portal as the platform? Right? Is it a service catalog? Is it an internal development portal, developer portal? Uh, what exactly is the platform that we are talking about? Yep, and it's going to vary so much, almost infuriatingly so, how that is defined per company. I think the the main thing we can maybe agree on is that you know DevOps when it came out on the scene was really more about connecting you know Dev and Ops naturally, but the way that worked was turning Ops slowly into a service oriented thing, to where it wasn't being that stuff was being thrown over the wall. It was that Ops defined an interface to the wall so that you can go up to the wall and like request things without having to go and file tickets and go left and right and all those kind of things. So now kind of like the next gen of that is, well, maybe there isn't even an interface. Maybe it is just a platform you can go log into and you press the buttons. It's still done by somebody behind the scenes, like an ops team or a DevOps team or a platform engineering team. But it's it's even more smooth than that first pass at DevOps. You're talking about a fancy self-service portal then, right? Where you can go and probably request your infrastructure, probably even start onboarding your team. A lot of those things that happens through the portal, the self-service portal that I was mentioning about. Mm-hmm. But but is that alone contribute to the platform or is it like there's a lot of underlying tools, uh, which could be the CICD tools, monitoring tools, all of those contributing back into that internal developer portal. Will the platform be a combination of all of that together? You know, I wonder if somebody could make a map of platforms where as a new comer to the field, they're like, do we need a platform? Here's a flowchart. Okay, let's see which which one you get. And if it is just documentation and confluence, that's good enough. If it's an IDP, like you know, backstage, cool, go do that thing. If it's something even grander or something consisting of multiple independent pieces, sure. But the probably... Probably that map is lacking and it's lost in all this kerfuffle in, in talking about platforms and not a platforms and yes platforms and multi-platform and so on and so forth. You didn't mention about uh, backstage there. Obviously, you cannot have a discussion around platform engineering without talking about uh, backstage these days. Uh, there was a lot of emphasis for it, uh, even in the AWS reInvent uh, last year. Um, so what exactly is happening in that space? I mean, from what I understand, it is an internal developer portal. I mean, you still need the CICD tools. You still need a lot of the other 
tools that you would otherwise require uh, for the functions that you need to do, uh, the DevOps uh, functions, right? Uh, so what exactly is Backstage? And I mean, will that alone, uh, if I'm the customer adopting Backstage, will that alone uh, take me somewhere? Right. So Backstage at least seems to have the sharp focus on what they are which is a pane of glass view to your tooling and the stuff going on at your company. So that's your software catalog and all the things in there. And it's a set of templates that get you started when you're trying to do a new thing. Out of the box, it might not be so much figuring out, we are already an established enterprise. We have all these existing things. And what do we do? Well, I mean, you probably already have a bunch of platforms. If you're already established and you've been going for years and years and years, also, you have platforms. You might not know what they are, where they are, but they're in there. Backstage is a, is a cool little thing where you can begin um, somewhere in, in a light fashion. And I believe that just recently they also uh, announced that they were getting ready to introduce their new backend because it did start when it originally got open sourced by Spotify. It started as a maybe a bit of a hodgepodge just because it's kind of like we're going to get this out of the door. Here it is, and it went V1, but it still took a lot of just, you know, messing around with code in the app itself to make it yours, which was hard to approach. So now they are getting to where it might have more of a plugin manager like Jenkins or something, which can be nothing but a good thing in my mind, at least. So yeah. I think Backstage knows what it is, but the platform field is still so much bigger than just Backstage. Yeah, and 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 I think I think that backstage in a, in a way is is almost a tool to build an internal developer platform out of. It's not it's not an out, out of the box experience of 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 things because it um, each organization is going to have their their own requirements and, and unique unique context in which in which, in which they're they're working. Um, and so it's the collection of the of the plugins and of the templates and the service catalog and and of the various th different things that you're you're. You want to put put together for that to be your for that to be your platform, and in 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 the same way that I think that um, that if it, the, the Kubernetes is 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 a kind of a tool for building your you know your, your op operations platform. Um, you you want want to call call it that. You have to customize it out of the box. It isn't you 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 know you have to have an opinions around those those, those kinds of kinds of things. So I think I think of backstage in a very similar in a sim similar way of. It's a it's a set of, it's a it's a starting point to go build. And it's probably not the yep. thing that you end you, you finish with, right? I remember one of the major problems that we have faced internally is everybody liked backstage, you know, uh, but the developers themselves considered, yeah, it's yet another tool, right? Yet another fancy user interface that I need to start using now. And once they started using it, yeah, it's great for onboarding teams. It's great for self-service. But at the same time, if I need to make simple tweaks, uh, there is no easy way to do that in Backstage at the moment. You're probably looking at developing another plugin. And for which you need another developer on board who can actually go and do TypeScript and you know develop a plugin for it. And obviously, then comes some maintenance issue. So Backstage itself was becoming a problem internally. And maintaining it was becoming a problem, right? Yeah, and and we've we've kind of reduced our, um, I guess the, uh, the the ambition for it for it in this sort of initially because everyone was like, yes, we're let's, we're going to use all the features, we're going to use all the things, all the possibility, and actually reducing it down to a much smaller set of capabilities and think actually we're just going to start here and then see where we grow with it with our backstage uses, and that's been a lot more successful 
um, in terms of getting more teams on board and more more, more teams adopting that. Um, uh, but, but backstage is, is a place to you know sh- share that. He's like share, frankly, who's on who's in the team. You know, that's it's a good good place to good place to start as well as some documentation and and, and things. So, it's yeah, we, we it's growing for for sure. There is definitely a large cultural aspect to it. Uh, my understanding is that probably part of why it was so successful at Spotify was because they had the culture where every team that was working in in backstage was also working on backstage. And that works well if your entire tech stack is oriented around node and and those sort of things but it might be a big pill to swallow for a net shop or something else that's just completely out of that field so if you fit in it culturally and tech stack wise you can turn backstage into whatever you need and it can cover probably all your platformy needs as long as you connect it to the to the right tools and integrations around it whereas maybe some of the other you know, options in the market, they might be a better fit tech stack wise, but they could be trying to be everything when they're not and they aren't extensible to where they can be. And maybe that's where some of these don't call it a platform things comes in. Because if you can't truly make it into a platform that fits uniquely you, maybe it isn't a platform, or maybe it isn't a platform that you need. Yeah, it goes back to that build it or buy it argument, right? I think Netflix, when they started the platform engineering project, they they looked at backstage and they realized that instead of investing all our resources and money into you know maintaining backstage, it's probably better that we create an internal developer portal ourselves, and that's the route they take, right? They they actually built a different portal, didn't rely on backstage. And even at the end of it, they found that the adoption internally was a bit difficult because users thought that, um, again, as I mentioned earlier, it's another user interface. But at the same time, they they found out that just consolidating everything into single place is not enough, right? You, you, you need to build your workflows using the tools so that the adoption is easier. The developers, you need to get the buy-in from the developers. Otherwise, it's all pointless. Yeah, this also gets to where I have an issue with some of the naming of IDP as internal developer platform, because sometimes it's suitable to make it about the, the developer experience that is developer first. It's pretty much nobody but developers. But in some cases, like with Backstage, you can make it a thing that PMs and leads and things rely on to keep tabs on things, but they might not really count as developers. And it's again going to be so uniquely suited to different companies that it's it's hard to get there one one thing i started wondering was instead of an internal developer platform is it more like a developer community because that that can sort of in, in include everybody that's in the picture of developing software whether they're a pm or or they're actually in there coding on things that's an interesting concept let, let me ask you this question right when we say IDP, a lot of people say it's internal developer portal. You just mentioned it as internal developer platform. There itself, we can see two lines of thoughts, right? What exactly is it, right? I mean, obviously, if I'm looking at something like Backstage, I see it as an internal developer portal because you know it is, at the end of the day, a portal. And it's not a platform because it's not hosting anything else. All the tools that's running behind it's all. Uh, it, it's not part of the system itself, so it's it's nothing but an internal developer portal. 
Yep. And the wording has been so meshed up that I'm using them interchangeably by accident anyway. Yeah, I'm pretty sure backstage is portal. But then in some cases, it's like developer or DevOps. So is it like an internal DevOps platform or internal developer portal? I'm sure some people have a definition for it, but I don't think that's out there firmly anywhere yet. So sometimes for me, at least, I like to, well, let's just call it something less overloaded and just try to make it more clear. Makes sense. Uh, another another discussion that I was uh, looking at was, you know, are there enough tangible benefits to say that, yeah, it's worth exploring platform engineering, it's worth investing into it. Uh, because one of the reasoning was that a lot of the benefits that we can actually um, count or quantify, it comes from the proper implementation of DevOps processes and tools, right? Uh, continuous integration, continuous deployment, that actually brings benefits that you can quantify. Whereas with platform engineering, yeah, great, you are you are implementing a set of standards, uh, uh, a set of same processes, to uh, things like that, but they can't really quantify it. And again, you need you need to say that you know, having a platform team looking at platform engineering that comes with a cost on its own, right? So looking at the cost versus the actual benefits, is it worth doing it? But I think in my mind, this is part of the thing of measuring and understanding where your organization and, you know, where where are you spending time, where are engineers, where are engineers spending time that they maybe they shouldn't be um, things. And um, it, it, it can be that one of the one of the problems you have is that you don't know what your state is of all the services there. So that the most important thing is to get a service catalog and understand which teams are running which services and what capabilities do they provide. Because in surfacing that information, you can then see what are what are the new capabilities that we can serve our customers with by by combining the different different services. So that might be one area of problem that, that you have. Um, another area of problem that you might you might have is um, is, is knowing what are the choices you have to go when you go and build build a new thing. Like it's the it's, it's it's the kind of the blank sheet of paper problem. You like to have a template, have something as a starter, which. You, you you can go things. It gets you going more quickly. It means you're more likely to adopt uh, good practices and the standards that you that the organization might 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 have. And so I think that that's kind of a, that's another another area. Um, another thing would be like around the standardization and like oh this is just how we do things. And so the, those things actually having a set of these are the blessed services. These are this is you know if you're going to build a web service, this is this is how we do it here um and uh and that that being and this is how we manage it so you might have even your own custom cli to to to, to, to deploy things and you have a single path to production you have a single to tool to, to chain it's likely that organizations are going to have a combination of those of those sort of three areas as problems and there's plenty more i would imagine as well but when when i think about it that's the level of complexity that you you, you have when you start thinking about how are we going to get more out of our teams? Like, how, how how can we remove busy work? How can we move remove frustration? Um, it, it it kind of gets down to how can we make teams' lives like happier? Like, how can you be more happier? So you're you're actually doing what you what you love doing, more, rather than battling. Some it's like um, oh, I've got to learn a new thing, or I've got to apply like the security standards to this project, and I didn't have a template to begin with, so now it's super painful to 
add all the things that I did and I've got to do a ton of refactoring and it's just slowing me down getting value out. Um, so I think that those those are the, those are the areas that I think about in terms of platform and, and enabling teams to do more um, and 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 at, and at higher quality. So that's another one of the uh, interesting parts that at least one of these articles recently touched on. I think it was by Humanitech, which is one of the other IDP options out there, and they got into literally trying to calculate a an ROI on the different activities that your team perform. Because backstage looks shiny out of the box, but if you just think about like I could press a button and I can get a Git repository that if it's hooked up to GitLab will deploy an app, like yay. But if you start doing the math and like, how often do you actually spin up a new environment or a new app? And it's like kind of a disappearingly rare activity. And what they came up with was saying that the most important part to really get results was implement basic CI/CD. We're like, yeah, yeah, that that's right. But that's like way before you would think that you start thinking about pause in the first place. So maybe it is a, a good exercise to first go in there and calculate. Well, what are you what are you actually tied up in? And what are you what are you toiling away at? What is taking too long? And maybe there's a platform or a portal or something that can help you. But if the problem is that you still haven't got automated testing, you probably should work on automated testing first. Yeah, I think that 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 word toil, I think, is a really important one. And and there's 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 also um, about like capability as as well. So one of the things that a platform can do is fill in for a lack of capability for it for it, for, for for a team. So you might not have um, great operational capability, but you can lean on the platform to deliver that for you. Um, you know that, that that might be something that you're then able to enable different shaped teams to so to 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 to, to running and um and 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 deliver. So yeah, I think that that's yeah that that to, that toil thing was maybe what I was talking about before. But this the capabilities as well. It's sort of standing on the shoulders of giants in a way. Like um, yeah, that's that's the sort another way of, of of thinking about it. We've actually started capturing um, all of the unplanned work that we that we end up doing. That maybe having some kind of tooling or automation across all of our different microservices would help with, because we were realizing that um, we would we were doing a lot of work that wasn't tracked in a sprint when we needed to upgrade dependencies vulnerabilities came up and we weren't actually tracking that we weren't apportioning any estimations or time value to that when actually it was taking up quite a lot of our our sprint and so at the moment we've just started measuring that and actually putting estimations on how long that work takes to see how big of an issue issue it is and then it makes it a clearer cut um argument for well, actually, are we doing this in the best way? Do we need to bring in some kind of automation that's going to go and update all of the different microservices um, to make sure that we don't kind of context switch, do one service at a time, have things in different states? Yeah, and, and I think that I mean, that's that's kind of one of the things I recommend to teams to do. It's like it's your first thing. And then you can spend the time paying down the technical debt and then see some results maybe. Or 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 and 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 I think that's you know it's super important to do that measure it's, it's kind of just basics of flow metrics of you know where 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 is work waiting and why uh and and what's 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 kind of holding holding you back yeah i was going to touch upon that i mean 
the problem that Rome mentioned, any IDP is not going to solve that problem, right? So you need to realize where your problems are, uh, as you mentioned, where the toil is, where the wastage is. So are we saying that, you know, probably it is worth doing a value stream mapping early on before you venture into, you know, doing proper platform engineering or whatever it is, right? Because you need to know where the wastage is, how good the flow is, and those kind of things before figuring out, okay, where, where, where is the problem? What's the solution to it, right? An IDP may not be the solution, right? There's also a fun catch-22 involved in it here. Because as Rami noted, they've started capturing some new metrics. Okay, where do you put the metrics? Oh, well, we need a developer portal for that. <laughs> but we don't know yet if that would be worth it because we don't have the metrics. That's what possibly the value stream mapping will bring out, right? It will bring out some data and some focus points where you can then start investing time. If it is a metrics that you are after, yeah, definitely go for it, right? It is definitely a fun challenge. So I've seen in the news that Google have announced um, something called Service Weaver. What are everybody's opinions on this new framework for writing distributed applications? Ooh, there's another fun one. I think John has thoughts on this one. I certainly do. <laughs> I, I, I'll, be, I'll be frank. I hate it. I hate, <laughs> I hate the whole concept of um, hiding, uh, hiding the fact that you're actually got a distributed application behind synchronous APIs, like uh, or or even asynchronous APIs that sometimes I've got like um, this is sort of super super local speed, and sometimes I end up with. A remote remote call that could error and hit rate limits and 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 all those those sorts of things, um, and and I think we it's it feels like one of these problems that we've time and time like the industry has has, has run into everything like frequently. So it's about it seems like about every kind of twenty years or so we end up we go go through this cycle of oh we could hide all of the remote procedure calls behind things and make that will be easier to work with. But it's not easier to work with when you hit production because, like, the real world happens and distributed calls fail. And there's it's uh, anyway. So I think it's a it's a it's it's one of those well-meaning things which I I kind of feel is is like really dangerous. Uh, I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love I'd love to have them got it right. And this it's not it's not it's not an issue. Um, but yeah, it seems it seems like a dangerous dangerous paradigm to, to, to go work, work, work working in really anyway i, I hope i'm wrong <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to confirm though so from what i read what i understood was okay uh, we are going to end up with a single binary right at the end of the day so it's going to be a monolithic application although while developing you're you're do, doing it just like you develop microservices so if it is going to be a single binary Again, there were a lot of advantages to microservices in the way that you have these services deployed in different places. You can scale them differently. Like if I if I have a login application and a billing and something else, my billing and login is probably used a lot more than the other applications. And you know, you need to scale them appropriately. Uh, none of that is going to happen with a single binary, right? I mean, you still are going back to the old world order where you have to you know figure out how to scale this application with a single binary well and so i think that's one of the things that this does quite well actually is is it divides things into modules 
and those and those modules are those units of deployment that can be deployed independently but in uh, okay. and, and and you can and you can kind of combine some modules together for and um things so it gives you it gives you that level of that level of control um uh so that in in, in a sense that i think that's a really positive part of the of, of the framework so not to be you know com completely hating on it but it it it, it um and and it, and it, what it, what that gives you is the it gives you the option to to be more creative at runtime you know and and to as you as you scale you can go well actually yeah this you know the billing part you know let's separate that out and run it in its own you know its own own set set, set of services um uh, so yeah I, I should have known google did it so they must have done something right <laughs> yeah and 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 i think it, it it's um there's and so the other thing behind it, I think, I want to acknowledge there's a lot of smart people behind this as, as well. So, um, you know, like, I, you know, hating on it, but I do want it to succeed as a as, as a way as a way of a way of look, looking at looking at because it would if, if they're right and this thing is it would simplify writing up like uh, a whole load of a whole load of things because if it, it's much simpler to think about things as a contained unit of deployment. Like, and to, to have well, when I make one change, I can make like an atomic change over things. So that um, that simplicity is is super attractive. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this in this podcast before, but I moonlight as an indie game developer in open source land. So I'm very familiar with a problem that is common to game development, and I see this service weaver thing, and I go, "Aha! I could totally use this for making games out of." But that's probably not what they had in mind. But it, it does, it brings me to this, this concept where in video game development, you typically you're dealing with a monolith, at least if you're doing something like single player, because it's literally a full screen application that is running on somebody's computer. So yeah, everything is in one binary and that's how it, just how it works and it works really fast. Then when you mix in something like multiplayer, which is where you get your remote you know, calls and so on, it gets complicated. And sometimes you fix that by having a completely separate set of, of components for when you run in multiplayer. And they're the ones that have all the network communication things hooked in. But then you have this weird difference where you have the monolith, which just works beautifully, and the multiplayer thing that's modular, and you get different bugs between the two of them. Sometimes you fix that by cheating and actually making the local binary itself run a, a multiplayer server and you just connect to it which adds a lot of overhead but at least makes them similar so me seeing this framework makes me think wow so could we just write one thing and then just if we say okay now we want to run the game server but in kubernetes and it just like pulls out the right pieces and just makes it magically work that would be wonderful i would love that but i kind of also wonder that that's probably not the right use case. And I might be a little disappointed also in when some of the magic turns out to be like people hiding behind curtains with little long rods and they're like shifting the doors around. So, so John, my question then is, you know, what can Google do differently to make this more attractive to you? I, I, I think it's the, like, the, the things that could be remote calls, they need to be really explicitly remote calls and and they, they and to have those that that kind of constraint around it so if, if you're in um the uh if you're in kind of rasmus's game game developer game kind of pl platform kind of the difference in performance from everything running locally on your own things to 
part of it is in the you know is you know is in the in the cloud somewhere it's running on some you know some server that you then need to maintain and synchronize state between the the number of calls and the amount of chattiness on a protocol like that would be, you know that's really important to get right um that your you know your client part has got enough enough of the state that and the that the matches with the um uh, with 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 the server and and, and those are the they, those sorts sorts of things so i think bringing in that um explicitness of the remote the remote calls the error handling the um and and those they, they they that kind of thing i think we would, would be really helpful one of the things that i think they have got right on they're looking to get right is is the the instrumentation and the monitoring around that so you will know when your remote calls are failing but it just feels like the apis aren't really there you you, you can you, it's 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 written in go right so you can handle you can handle the error but a lot of the time when you're writing distributed systems you want to handle the error and do some back off and retries and and propagate failure and and you use kind of distributed systems error handling um uh, method, 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 method methods and it just doesn't feel like it feels like that's too hidden from you um and and sometimes you don't care sometimes you just want to write a library and if it if that you know if something fails then that's that's kind of okay but you'd need to get you need to be able to get it right there to your, your fingertips to be able to do that when when it matters um and so, so it's a, maybe one of the i haven't i haven't seen it in, in this but maybe something that could be added or or someone's going to tell me it's already there is, is like an injection of errors um so to be able to make you know throw some noise in there and make it make it feel like it may when you're developing locally make it look like you're actually in a distributed system that's going to require um so a, a retry to somewhere or um you know a, a, a transaction failing halfway through and then it retries it to another to another copy of the service um so I, i'll throw in another thing that i would love to see and i don't know if it's there now or if they google would, would want to do it but this really makes me think of again how the framework or whatever the platform can be the best thing ever but if you're not mature in the different areas it may not matter so in this case you know the concern is that it's it might be too slow if something is just transparently suddenly remote a way to get around that i would think would be just extremely high coverage automated testing and making it really really easy to get to it so that everything you write in there will automatically have tests generated that would run with different levels of latency almost like a built-in chaos monkey that is going to get you that like okay we're going to see how this beautiful thing that worked great on your thing over here works if we throw all the components in the cloud and then also throw a monkey wrench in there and see how it does it if you get that somehow out of the box then if you if you can kind of like fail fast and learn immediate like oh wait this thing when it runs remote just completely screws up everything but we got told by the system almost immediately because it came with all these handy helper functions to make automated testing a reality and making it easier because honestly that's one of the the usual things that go missing you just, you just don't have thorough test suites if you do that helps so many things but it's hard to get budget of focus for that interesting yeah looks like i mean that's another framework out there that developers can now go and take a look at you know like we don't have enough frameworks yeah always need more frameworks so it, it, i mean there's this discussion and it reminds me there was there was a post um 
uh, so a couple, couple of weeks ago about um, increasing complexity, ca causing the cloud cloud outages. And, and I don't necessarily think it's the increasing complexity that's the problem. It's it's when it exceeds people's capacity to hold that complexity in their head and the in the thing. And if you're yeah. trying to hide, if you're trying to hide complexity in places where you actually need it to be explicit. I think that's 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 the problem. So, um, yeah, the, and it's and um, and and this kind of links together the conversation with with platform engineering as as, as well. If you if you've got a platform that which that can re reduce your cognitive over overhead, um, and I think re removing that like it's it's a way to get a more stable, more more reliable, more reliable re 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 reliable system. So I don't know what you you guys you guys think on that, but it's. It's one of the things I think about. Yeah, I think it's at the end of the day, it's all about abstraction of, you know, how to hide that complexity, right? I mean, part of the problem is, you know, we always look at platforms or, you know, the other frameworks as a solution to hide the complexity, but the complexity is still out there, right? You talk about creating cloud agnostic solutions, and then you have multiple clouds, you know, you're, you're talking to Google Cloud, you're talking to AWS, you're talking to Azure, all of them there. And there are various technologies that you're using. So I think you need a team of people who is experts at all of this, which is never the case. And then suddenly you have a problem at hand because something goes wrong and you don't know whom to pull in. I mean, uh, how many different places to look at? When we've, when we've had some outages recently, we thought that we understood the service that we're using. And so the complexity comes from actually there's some caveats to the service that we're using. You've read all the documentation, you've, te you've tested it in staging, and then there's one edge case or there's one little caveat that you didn't realize. And then you can write your tests for that. You can test for that in the future. But until you actually run that in production and everything falls over and you're like, why? And you're messaging AWS saying, we thought we knew how this worked. What happened? And sometimes they take a long time to come back with to you and explain, actually, this is how this works. And this is a limitation that maybe we haven't publicized as much. It might not be obvious. It could be in some documentation, but it's not in what we just happened to have read when we were trying to build the service and what we tested. So there's the complexity on on like the actual infrastructure that we're we're hosting everything on as well. That for one developer to know all of that is highly unlikely um for for a small team of developers to come across that without having that edge case experience once in their life before it's very unlikely so yeah lots of outages caused by these little nuances that we just didn't know about until it was too late yeah and those edge cases are always going to be different for different services different uh, cloud providers right and that makes it even more complex uh, I, I think there was this interesting statistics you know one in five systems always go down because of the uh, cloud complexity and uh, how outages are something that is really bothering all the infrastructure providers um, so it's quite interesting so I'm going to throw in something here I'd like to make out as being clever but maybe I'm more clever than I give myself credit for I think all this is very cyclical, just like what John was talking about earlier, that every X years, you just find a new thing and you add complexity to it. And I'm going to also be nerdy and tie this back to platforms. And again, being an indie game dev, because once upon a time, when, when I started with a group of people, we were worried about writing like renderers, really low level stuff that's hard to do, it's complex and so on. And then eventually the game engines, much like platforms, started coming out. 
and then kind of just abstract some of the complexity behind your libraries or your engine or your platform, or in the case of cloud, which is really just somebody else's data center, it's still there, but now you're just building this, this increasingly high tower of, of madness, like that famous uh, internet graphic of what keeps the internet running is this one guy and often a stake maintaining this little teeny tiny open source library. And you may get better tools, but if you keep doing things process and people-wise the same, you will just repeat the mistakes of the past over and over and over again. So to me, it becomes almost more like, how do you break the cycle? How do you jump out of that loop? And I'll bring this back to saying that automated testing and chaos monkey and those kind of things and having like a, a healthy overall balance between things might help that because you will be less surprised at things that go wrong you hadn't pictured if you if you throw a, a chaos monkey in there and have testing they'll be able to, to catch it more readily so it's easy to get stuck on that kind of like the incline of tools and the productivity and so on but you only ever still advance in one thing oh now we can do more things faster yay let's do more things faster and then you look at like graphs of productivity over time and like productivity is going up but revenue is not going up how does that work and it all just comes back down to well maybe we need to be more balanced maybe we need to not just focus on doing things faster but also doing them better and bringing people in and having them involved and, and knowledgeable about all these things but that's probably hard for especially for profits to do because it's the thing that gets you know short-term quarterly returns made more visible that gets the attention and stuff like writing good documentation or automated testing or having having your value stream maps and things like that well documented somewhere that's that's not what gets attention yeah i think it's it's hard to do but it's also if, if you don't do it you're going to die <laughs> in the uh, things and i think that 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 kind of um uh, sort of mindset of a team that are looking to to be to to um, continuously improve and have that their sort of agile adaptive mindset of like let's you know let's let's, let's question let's question things you know let's not think of any of our practices as being immutable or like best and final you know they, they, we're always looking like what are the what 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 can we do to improve what we're doing can we can we can we look at what oh uh, examine how we do things and and do, do things differently and, and and i think this is this is where you you know like devops as a as a, as a, as a whole thing is 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 come from it's all about well we're not going to stand still and just accept that this is this is how it has to be um and and i think like looking at um looking at complexity and, and looking at how can we can we make sure that we understand as much of the complexity as possible so do we have the observability in place will we understand that at the same time do we understand where our team is spending time you know like where 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 is that where's the toilet where's the unplanned work where where are all those those, those those kind of things and and that taking that observability mindset and going let's let's look let's apply that to our team as well uh, and maybe let's apply that to the incoming work that or that we got um or, or maybe what we need to do is apply observability across the entire system that is the team the work that we're doing and what's happening in, in, in production and have like a huge holistic view, view of, of things or different things we're sort of thinking about to try and understand different layers of complexity that, that you you kind of end up running running, running into so in other words it's not all about the tools oh, no. people in the process <laughs> 
that's it for today's episode um, episode 14 of DevOps Decrypted uh, connect with us on social at Adaptivist and let us know what you think of the show um, but from myself and all of our speakers today thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on DevOps Decrypted which is part of the Adaptivist Live podcast network Thank you.